wanted to start the evening by saying a big thank you to so many of you um, that got in touch with me last week, uh, after last week. Um, last week, I shared some stories, very personal stories to me, about the journey I've been on in my own life, going through difficult times, um, times of suffering. And um, as I shared those, obviously, beforehand, I felt a bit nervous. Um, uh, normally, you know, I, don't, I do get a bit nervous when I talk normally, but t last week, I definitely felt quite nervous, knowing that I was going to share and be vulnerable. And uh, just before I went up last week, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and just say, you know what, Alice, don't be nervous because you're talking amongst family, that this is your church family. And I felt encouraged last week before I spoke that the Lord had put that on my heart. And then in the last week, so many of you have got in touch and encouraged me and just said, you know, just um, cheered me on. And I've really, really appreciated that. So thank you for all of you that got in touch. Um, it's really felt like being part of family. So thank you. If you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to listen to it again. And that's not meant to sound like I'm bigging myself up. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but more actually because this week I want to build on what we talked about last week. And the two, of, the two of these talks really are kind of in tandem with each other. And especially if you are in a difficult time in life right now, we're talking about suffering. If you are in the middle of you know, a, kind of a season of being in the valley right now, then um, listening to last week's talk, I think, will really help you put this week's talk in context. So do go and listen to it. It's online if you'd like to. I will just do a little bit of a recap on what we talked about, see how many of you can remember it. In fact, maybe I should just come around with a mic and you can all say the main point. <laughs> Actually, I think that would be a bit disheartening, don't you? <laughs> Silence. <sighs> um, I'll just do a little bit of a recap of what we talked about. We looked at how suffering is um, inevitable, how it happens to all of us. It's a reality that all of us uh, face at some point in our lives. Times when we are in the furnace was a metaphor that comes from the Bible that I've been using over these last two weeks about being in the furnace. And I talked last week about my reticence, my reluctance to spend too much time on much of the theological debate surrounding this topic about, you know, why is it we suffer and how can God allow it? I didn't want to spend too much time on it for two reasons. One, because I think if you're in the middle of the valley right now, if you are in the furnace, in a difficult time, it's not always that helpful to hear kind of objective, large-scale theological debate when actually you are, on a, you are in a place where those arguments are deeply personal and deeply subjective. And I think pastorally, it can be kind of a bit irresponsible in this environment to talk about some of those things. So there's that. And then secondly, I think we have to be honest, um, even though uh, the, debate, the debate has been gone for centuries, we've not solved it yet. <laughs> and there's a reason, and that is because much of the debate will remain a mystery. I think much of our understanding of suffering will remain a mystery until we see Jesus, and then it will all make sense. Um, we, have to, we have to admit that our understanding is limited at this point. But for those of you that are here thinking, I want to engage with the theology behind this, I want to look at those big questions, I'm a big thinker, I'd really point in the direction of Tim Keller has written a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And if you think that would be valuable for you, then you obviously pick up a copy and have a read. I did last week talk, however, about three assurances I think we can take from Scripture as we face um, any periods in our life of suffering. And so I'm just going to highlight those. The first one was that um, in order to get our head around suffering, to know that Jesus is with us when we suffer, we have to start with the past reality of the cross. The fact that we have a God who died on a cross for us, and he knows what it is to suffer. We have to start with the past reality of the cross. And secondly, um, the past reality of the cross gives us comfort for our current reality. As said, we have a God that knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to suffer. And, and moreover, he promises to walk with us, to be in the furnace with us when we suffer. 
That is one of the great promises of Scripture. And then thirdly, the past reality of the cross, it gives us comfort in our current reality, but it also gives us hope for our future reality, that this life is not all there is. And that to understand suffering, we have to understand that there is an an inheritance waiting for us in heaven, Uh, an eternal joy where we will meet Jesus face to face and worship him forever. And in that moment, God, the promises in Revelation, God promises that he will wipe every tear dry, that he will heal every broken heart, and that he will right every injustice. So we have to live with that reality in mind. Phew, that was it. I think that was it. Miss anything out? Um, That was a whistle-stop tour of last week. The question I wanted to look at this week is, with all of that in mind, can anything good come out of suffering? Can anything good come out of suffering? Last week, I talked about how suffering often involves a loss of some, of some kind, often at the heart of going through a difficult time of feelings of grief. And that's because loss is often part of suffering, whether it's loss of a loved one, whether it's loss of a dream you had for your life that doesn't look like it's going to happen, whether it's loss of a key relationship or family breakdown, whether it's loss of joy in your life. Maybe this evening that would, that would um, sum you up where you are in life. Maybe this evening you are in a dark place. You've lost all joy in your life. Maybe you've lost, uh, you lost your health. Maybe at the moment you are facing some serious health difficulties. Whatever it is, suffering often involves some kind of loss. And if that is true, if suffering always involves some kind of loss, can anything be gained? Is there anything to be gained from suffering? I just wanted to start by looking at, last week we looked at a passage in 1 Peter of chapter 1, written to Christians in the midst of suffering and persecution by Peter, the disciple. And in it, um, in verses 6 and 7, he talks about um, what can come out of times of difficulty. So we're just going to look at those. 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In those verses, Peter is reassuring Christians that something good can come out of suffering. Now, he's not saying here that suffering in itself is good. It's really important to make a distinction. He's not saying that suffering is good. But what he's saying is that good can come from the experience of it. You know, he says, these have come, these trials have come so that. He's talking about the effect of suffering and and that God can bring good things out of it as a result of it. And they are very different things. For Peter, suffering is a refiner's fire that can strengthen our faith, that can transform us as Christians and ultimately bring glory to Jesus. It says, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Ultimately, it can bring glory to Jesus. And this evening, I kind of want to move on from those verses and look at some verses in Romans written by Paul, another New Testament theologian. Um, And he looks at, he almost unpacks, I think, helpfully, what happens in that refiner's fire? How is it that we are transformed whilst we're in the furnace? So we're going to have a a little look at that if we can. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Those first couple of verses in this chapter, in chapter 5, almost summarize what I was just talking about, what we talked about last week, that we are the two bookends in our life, that we are in between the cross and the reality of heaven. Um, first, straight away, it talks about the cross of Christ, which is the peace given to us through God. That's what he's talking about when he talks about that peace. He's referring to the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, that we now have peace with God. And then it goes on to talk about the hope and the glory of God. And that's talking about heaven, our future hope in heaven. And that's what we sit between. That is what gives us hope when we are in the furnace. And then Paul talks about, from verse 3 to 5, he then talks about this step-by-step transformation that takes place in the furnace that can change us to be more like Jesus. Now, straight away, I want to kind of say, if you are in the valley right now, if you are in the furnace, I'm not saying these words in order to offer comfort to you. Um, I don't think that's always the case, that they are always that comforting. You know, when I was grieving the loss of my parents, I think if someone had said to me, God is doing this so that your faith will grow and he's going to refine it for you, I think I would have told you politely, I'm sure, I'm a Christian, where to go, I think. I think I would have said, you know what, I'd rather not have this situation I'm in. I'd rather my faith stayed unrefined if I'm being honest. If you are, if that is you this evening, my hope, my prayer for you this evening is that you know God is with you in the furnace. The problem with arguments like that, that I just outlined, is is it seems to put a distance between us and God, that God is kind of setting this up to try and grow us. And it seems to put a distance between us and God, and I don't think that's the case. Instead, I think God is with us in the furnace, and he promises never to leave us. Sometimes you just feel like you're clinging onto him for dear life. And if that's you this evening, I just pray that you would know this evening God is with you and he will not let you go. But it is possible when you do emerge from the furnace, when your life gains a bit more equilibrium, when you reflect back on what God did during that season, now I believe it is possible, I've seen it in my own life, it is possible to see that God did stuff in and through you during that time. It's interesting if you look at that passage in Romans and then the passage in 1 Peter that we looked at, both Paul and Peter talk about rejoicing in their sufferings rejoicing in their sufferings. Just that phrase alone has sat with me this week. It's all I've thought about. It has just really sat with me. I found it really hard to understand. When it says it, it's not saying that they are happy about suffering, that they are deliberately seeking out suffering because it's so much fun. Obviously, that would be weird, but they're not doing that. Um, The joy they're feeling is it's deeper than happiness. It's that joy of knowing that their hope is ultimately in Jesus and having their eyes fixed on him. It's that, it's, that is the, the joy that they are able to feel because of the hope that they have in Jesus. Um, but they're also able to rejoice because they can see what God can do in them in, the, in those times in the furnace. They're also able to rejoice because they know that God can do powerful things in them when they are going through difficult times. I find that really hard to get on board with because for many of us, I, think, I don't think I'm the only one, um, That is not my response when I suffer. My response in life is to avoid suffering at all cost. If you look through my journal, I'm not going to let you, but my prayers are often, God, make my life easier. Even little, even tiny little things, God, make this happen so my life's easier. Make this happen so my life's easier. That's my constant prayer to God. Very rarely do I pray when I'm going through a difficult time, do I say, Lord, you know, um, use me in this time, shape me, mold me, make me more like Jesus. Often I just pray. Um, for God, to know that God is there. And that is okay. I'm not saying that's not okay. It's important in those moments that we are able to pour out how we're feeling, to lament to God about the, the fe- our feelings of being in the furnace. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's not valid. But I look, I, as I read those passages and I see Paul and Peter's faith, it kind of shakes me a bit. Um, 
I think partly they're capable of that level of faith because of the constancy of suffering that they've had to endure. I mean, if you were kind of one of these New Testament apostles, literally it was kind of thing after thing after thing, suffering for your faith, endurance after endurance. And all of that experience, time after time after time, has grown their faith in a way that I can only marvel at. It's been such a reality in their life that they have, they have been refined and refined and refined again in the furnace to the point where they are able to live in total surrender to God, whatever their situation is. I find that amazing. It's difficult for us, us to get our heads around. At least it's difficult for me. I think it's also really difficult for us to get our heads around because it stands completely, completely at odds with what our current um, cultural context would tell us about suffering. And Tim Keller, in, in the book I mentioned, Early on in the book, he does a really interesting kind of cultural analysis of our Western secular culture that we live in. And he looks at how a key role for every culture, every society, every worldview, past and present, a key role for that culture is to try and equip its members to deal with suffering and to find some meaning from it, to equip them to deal with it and to learn from it. And then when you factor in our Western contemporary society, compare her, you know, look at how that compares with all these other cultures and societies past and present, what becomes instantly apparent is how little our current secular culture equips us to deal with suffering. How little it prepares us to deal with suffering and pain. And that is because the main goal of our, the current Western culture in which we live, the main goal is our happiness. It's personal happiness. That is, a lot of people, their main goal in life, essentially, is for them and everyone, you know, their most dearly beloved, to be happy. That is their end goal. And what does suffering do? Suffering, obviously, comes along and it destroys that happiness. And in that moment, if that is your reason for living, it's been taken, if, if, if happiness is your reason for living, in that moment, when suffering's come along, it's taken your reason for living away. It's taken your goal in life away from you. And so we're left to conclude that suffering must be avoided at all costs and that it can have no purpose or any meaning in your life. That is what we're told by our society. It's just an interruption. I talked last week about suffering being the interruption. And if you live under a Western worldview, chances are you, we will think that suffering is merely an interruption in our life and it can never have a meaningful, it can never be a meaningful part of our life story. Now the Christian faith says the exact opposite is true. The Christian faith goes deeper, uh, further than any other culture, society, worldview ever in looking at how we can derive meaning from suffering, how we can give meaning to the experience of suffering. Tim Keller says this, suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like us and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. It is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. How does that happen? How does that happen? Looking at Romans 5, and I've been looking at it this week, I felt there was three things to kind of highlight this evening. Three ways in which God is able to do a deep work in us whilst we're in the furnace. One of them is the way he can deepen our character. Another is the way he can deepen our faith in him. And the other is the way he can deepen our community. So I'm going to look at each of those briefly. So firstly, he can deepen our character. Verses 3 and 4 in Romans 5 said this, We know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering produces perseverance, which produces character. When we go through difficult times, we have that choice to press on through. And when we choose to continue to press on through, we develop resilience in our lives. We become more resilient, and our faith becomes more resilient. Now, I've never run a marathon. That may, may or may not surprise you. 
You surprised are you? Thank you. Um, my husband Matt ran in the London Marathon quite a long time ago, and uh, he will tell you that there is a moment in any kind of endurance race like that, any endurance sport like that, there is a moment where you hit the wall. And in that moment, it's like your, your carb supply has been used up. Your body is no longer able to, um, to process any more carbs. And you have nothing left but to dig in and persevere. You know, in that moment, you just have to choose, am I going to finish this or am I going to give up? And Matt hit the wall whilst he was doing the marathon. And he had to choose in that moment to carry on going. And the way that the only way that he could do that was to fix his eyes totally on just breathing in and breathing out one foot in front of the other. And he kind of blocked out everything else around him and just thought, for those last few miles, he just thought one foot in front of another, breathing in, breathing out. So much so that when he got to the 25-mile marker, his whole family, I wasn't married to him at this point, I wasn't there, and his whole family, they were standing, cheering him on, shouting, shouting, Matt, Matt, and he just didn't see them, didn't ignore them. They'd waited for hours, and he didn't see them, he just kept going because he was so focused on finishing the race because he was persevering in that moment and he'd blocked out anything else. And that is what happens when we persevere through suffering. When we choose to carry on fixing our eyes on Jesus to finish the race and to walk close with him, we end up tuning out everything else, all the other stuff of life that can get in the way, can distract us. They, they get tuned out. Persevering through suffering is, it has a way of focusing us, of eliminating the trivial and the superficial in our lives. There's a book um, called Drops Like Stars by Rob Bell. And in it, he says this, talking about this very topic. He says this, when you talk with people who have just received news that they have a life-threatening illness, what do they say? Now, I must get those hedges trimmed. I've been putting, off that, plastic I've been putting that plastic surgery off long enough. It's finally time to join that online poker club. No, of course not. They talk about family and friends. They gather those they love as close as possible. They reflect on any amends that need to be made with anybody. They talk about what matters most. Suffering does that. It compels us to eliminate the unnecessary, the trivial, and the superficial. When we compel ourselves to run on, when we persevere in that process, we eliminate the unnecessary, the trivial, and the superficial. As we persevere, we are changed. We become more aware of what is important in our lives. We get to become different people through suffering. If we persevere, your character will change as a result. You get to become a different person as a result of suffering. And of course, that can go either way. You can choose to go through suffering, fixing your eyes on Jesus, or giving in to despair and tuning out. Suffering changes us. It changes who we are. But if we allow him, God can come in and change us for the better. He can grow our character in those moments. Now, the truth is, I am a better person for having been through what I've been through in my life, for those times in the furnace that I talked about last week. I'm a better pastor. I'm more equipped to help people also going through difficult times. I'm more aware of my limitations in life. I'm wiser. I'm less ready to offer advice. I'm more ready to listen to people. I'm much, much less self-involved than I used to be. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm amazing. You're like, oh, she's big-headed. <laughs> There's lots of stuff I can work on. I'm sure you can all tell me afterwards. Um, and I'm also not saying, I, I, I've certainly picked up scars from the experience of being in the furnace. You know, in my own life, I've had to have some really deep prayer ministry. I've had counseling. If you're in the middle of suffering right now, at some point, when you've kind of, in the process, you will probably need some intense prayer ministry and some counseling. I would really recommend that. Um, we have a pastoral system here. If you are in that, get in touch with us. It's pastoralcare at cardiffinyard.org. Just come and chat to me at the end if you would like to know how you can get more support from us as a church. 
Um, I, I have engaged with that. So I'm not saying it was all positive, it was all game. Um, and I'm certainly not saying that, um, that I'm pleased I went through that experience. Obviously, I would rather not have gone through the times in the furnace that I have been through. But I can see how they have grown me significantly as a person, how I am changed for the better because of it, how my character has grown in that time. And not only has my character grown, but my faith in Jesus has grown. If we, uh, if we allow God in, he can deepen our character, but he can also deepen our faith when we're in the furnace. For me, knowing what it is like to walk through the valley in life means that I never, ever want to do that without Jesus. When I have times when my faith wavers, we all have times when you think, really, am I right? Are you real, Lord? The thing I come back to is I know what it's like to have God walk with me through difficult times, and I never want to go through difficult times without Jesus by my side. Suffering can deepen our character, and it can deepen our faith in him. When we suffer, there is a chance for God to come in and expose areas of our life where we've put our faith in things other than him, where we've built our life on a foundation that isn't Jesus. Jesus tells a parable um, in Matthew's gospel. He tells a parable about um, building a house. And the analogy he's using is, are you going to build your house on him, on rock, on firm foundation? Or are you going to build your house on sand, on insecure foundation? And what happens when we go through times of suffering and intense pain is those foundations get rocked. And if you've built your life on anything but Jesus, then your house comes tumbling down in those moments. If you've built your life on a belief on your own self-reliance and your financial security, in your health, in your family happiness, any of those things, often when we suffer, it comes and it takes away our security and our happiness. And as Christians, if we're honest, often we've kind of half built our, our life on rock and half on other stuff. We like, and we're in that process of working out how you get from kind of building on sand to how, how to build on rock. That's often the discipleship process of the Christian faith. And when suffering comes in, it exposes where you've been building, what you've been putting your security in that isn't Jesus. And you have an opportunity in that moment to start to rebuild your life more fully on Jesus. That's how your faith gets deepened in those moments. So we discover things about ourselves in those moments that allow us to deepen our faith, to rebuild our life more fully on Jesus. And we also discover things about God when we are in the furnace that we wouldn't know otherwise. You only know that God is with you in the furnace by being in the furnace. That is one truth you'll only realize, by, you'll only realize through experience. You only know that God is with you in the furnace by being in the furnace. Those moments when you come to the end of yourself, when your own coping strategies just run out and aren't enough. In those moments when you have to say, Jesus, you have to be enough for me. That is an amazing um, process of increasing your faith. I love this quote, it's an anonymous quote, so I can't, I'm not gonna claim it as mine, but it says this, you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't know Jesus is all you need until he is all you have. In those moments, there's that opportunity to, to discover more deeply the hope that we have in Jesus. That's how perseverance can build our character, and then as we grow, as we are changed by our experience of suffering, we are more aware of the hope that we have in Jesus. Of the, our faith increases and we are more aware of the hope that we have in Jesus. So we have perseverance, character, and hope. That's what we get from Romans 5 in those verses. And it's like a step-by-step -step transformation, but as I've thought about it, I think a helpful picture is seeing it more like a spiral staircase. Because what happens is, you, you, as you persevere, you grow as a person, your character grows, you become more aware of the hope that we have in Jesus. So you have more hope. And then you go and you have persevere again and, your, and you kind of go up and up and up. 
And I think when we look at men like Peter and Paul, these writers in the New Testament, and we think, oh, I want faith like that. I think often it's like you look up and you can see them a few floors ahead of you on this spiral staircase because they just ha- it happened to them time and time again. They kept going through that process of that refining fire, perseverance, character, and hope. And the more aware you are of the hope that you have in Jesus, the more open your heart is for God to pour his love into your heart. That's what it's saying in verse five. God's love has been poured out into into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the truth is the more aware, the more abandoned you are to the hope that you have in Jesus, the more open the posture is of your heart to allow him to come in for his Holy Spirit to pour his love into your heart. Now the truth is we often want the faith of a Peter or a Paul or a leader that we see and we think they've got amazing faith someone that we look at and we think, I wish I had that amount of hope and belief in Jesus. We often want that level of faith, but if we're honest, we don't want the cost. We want the faith that comes from being in the furnace, but we don't want to be in the furnace. We want the hope, the faith, but not the perseverance that has to come with it as we go up that spiral staircase. There are things that we can only learn about God from being in the valley, in the furnace. And it is in this place that our character deepens and our faith can deepen as well. I texted a friend of mine this week to kind of get her views on this. Uh, I really value her opinion on it. She has been through, I'm not going to share her story because it's her story to tell um, and she didn't give me permission to share it. And so I, um, but I do want you to know she has been through the most insanely, insanely difficult couple of years. And I asked her, how has your faith grown? Has it grown? And if so, how has your faith grown in these last couple of years of agony that you've been in? And this is what she texted me back. It's a really long text. I'm going to read it out. This is what she said. I would say my faith grew massively throughout the awfulness. I guess that some people question God, get angry at him and doubt him when painful stuff hits. But right from the beginning, I fell into God. I needed him so much, so I depended on him. And he was so incredibly good to me. His provision of finance and people came at just the right times. The people he put around me were amazing and I was so blessed. I had some incredible times with God when I was at my lowest. I spent hours crying on my rug listening to worship music, wondering how to get from minute to minute. And God would move and speak and comfort me and reassure me and give me guidance. He literally took me by the hand and led me through everything step by step. God helped me to have compassion with myself and to realize the truth and painful reality of what I'd been through over so many years, whilst at the same time smothering me with his love. I also began to hear God a lot more clearly for other people during that time, which I totally didn't expect. And I began to experience the Holy Spirit in ways I never had before. I mean, literally, there's so much to say. It was a horrific time and so, so painful, but lots of good stuff came out of it. And a big one was how my relationship with God went to a whole new level. I expect to hear his voice now. I know that he will guide me and I trust him implicitly. I have also keenly known and will never doubt his love, care and tenderness. Obviously there's miles to go in terms of spiritual maturity and I'll go on growing forever. But through the valley, I found new depth in God, which is amazing. Isn't that fantastic? I think that says it all. Suffering can deepen our character, it can deepen our faith. And finally, just in finishing, I want to briefly look at how it can deepen our community. Notice how many times in those verses in Romans 5, how many times Paul is speaking plurally to everyone. He's speaking collectively to a community. 
He's not just talking on an individual level to individual an individual circumstance. He is talking to a group of people who are all collectively suffering. I think there's a great challenge in this series for us to think about how to suffer well together as a community. Often in times of suffering, we can feel at our most isolated and most lonely. And I don't think that's how it should be within Christian community. There's something so powerful about community coming together and supporting each other. I think there's a great opportunity in those moments for honesty to come in, for those walls that we love to build, those superficiality kind of walls that we love to put in place where we pretend everything's okay. In those moments when you come to the end of yourself and you just come here and you're a sobbing mess on a Sunday, or you say to your small group leader, do you know what, I'm not okay. Something's not right, can you pray for me? There is something that happens in there when we're honest and vulnerable. God can forge a community in those moments and can deepen community. What's been amazing for me last week, having shared some of my stories, were how many of you came and then shared vulnerably stories from your own past with me? There is something about being vulnerable with each other. There's a freedom then for the Holy Spirit to come and bind us together more as a community in those moments. Christian community, in, when you're in the valley, Christian community can be invaluable. It should be invaluable. When Matt and I, um, I shared last week how during my second pregnancy, I lost one of the twins that I was carrying, and it was a horrific time for Matt, my husband, and I. I talked about it last week. And during that time, throughout the awfulness, um, people from this church community were amazing. Some of you here will remember us going through that time. Those of you that didn't know us so well, I know that you were praying and that you were encouraging us. Those of you that know us better came around and cooked us meals. Um, tried to support us. People came around and they prayed for us. And it was amazing. We felt so supported. And I realized that that is not always the case. I don't want to take that for granted. That is not always the case. When we go through times of difficulty, sometimes actually we can end up feeling isolated. And there'll be people, the honest truth is there, are, there will be people, when you're in the furnace, there will be people that don't know how to react and they pull back from you in those moments. I had a really good friend, a really close friend of mine at university, a Christian guy, a really good uh, friend of mine. And when my mum died, he never called me. He didn't know what to say. And I heard from friends of mine um, that knew him that he just felt awkward. He had no idea how to give me a call. He had no idea what to say. But of course, it was far harder for me to get in touch with him. It was far harder for me to kind of break the barrier and give him a call. What was I going to say? What would be my opening line in that moment? So I never called him and he never called me. And that would have been 13 years ago, and we've never spoken. He never worked out how to cross that divide. As a pastoral aside, if I can kind of give you some advice, if you want to suffer, uh, support someone close to you that is suffering, always, always say something. Say something. Don't be like my friend. Find a way to cross the divide, even if you say the wrong thing. Chances are you might say the wrong thing, but you know what? If it's someone you're close to, they'll know you well enough to know that you meant it in love. Always say something, don't leave that person isolated on the other side of a room waiting for people to come over and acknowledge it. Acknowledge the elephant in the room. Go over, say something and do something. Say something and do something. We've all texted people going through a difficult time in a well-meaning way. We've all sent the following text, I imagine. Um, I'm so sorry to hear about this. Let me know if there's anything I can do. Let me know. And what you do in that moment, as well-meaning as it is, what you do is you put on the person suffering, the person in the furnace, you put on them the responsibility um, for, for working out what it is they need. They, in that moment, when you do that, you're essentially saying, can you just help me work out how to help you? And it's not always that helpful because the reality is when you are in the valley, when you are suffering, you do not know what you need. Most of the time you have no idea because you've never done it before. You're not prepared to know what you need in the time 
in times of difficulty, in times of grief and in times of pain. So you can't possibly tell everyone else how they can help you. Offer to do something. Just make an offer. They can always say no. If you want to support someone going through a difficult time, just offer, whether it's cooking them a meal, whether it's taking their children out, whether it's a kind gesture in some way. Just do something. They can always say no. The day after my mum died, one of my best friends texted me and he said, hey, a bit random, but I have to drop a guitar off somewhere. It's a 45-minute drive away. Is there any way you just want to come in the car with me this morning and just come for a drive? And I remember thinking, sure, why not? And I got in his car. I was like a zombie. I was still in shock. And I had this almost glorious uh, kind of hour and a half in his car of just pure silence. We didn't speak. I imagine I said hello and goodbye, but we didn't speak the rest of the time. I sat there, I stared out the window, tears streaming down my face for an hour and a half. I got out the car, said goodbye, and went in the house. And do you know what? It was such a special moment for me. I would always, always remember that gesture where he just offered something just in case it would help, and it really helped me. And I'll never, for, I'll never forget that. Say something and do something. I think there's a tremendous opportunity in times of suffering for us to draw together as a community. I also think, um, in finishing, that there is an opportunity for God to use us uniquely as a church, as a Christian community, wider than just this church, the church generally, that God can use us uniquely when people outside the church are suffering. As I said earlier, our Western culture is poorly equipped to provide answers to suffering. It has no answers to give. It has no hope to offer. I always find it kind of interesting when we go through times of a national disaster, times of intense suffering as a, as a whole country, um, you notice in those moments how little our secular culture has to offer, nothing to say. In those moments, people often return to faith, to a faith-based language. They, they have nothing to say, so they often borrow faith-based language to, to have something to say. So, for example, if you see last year with the um, terrorist um, attack that happened in Manchester, the social media, the hashtag for it was Pray for Manchester. And that was unanimously the case, wasn't it? Whether you had faith, whether you had none. It was pray for Manchester. Because secular culture has no words, has no language, has no hope to offer in those moments. So people return to the language of faith. In those moments, secular culture despairs, I think, because any belief, any false belief we have in humankind and in our ability to solve some of the entrenched problems that we face in this world are blown apart in those moments. When we face time of intense suffering, when we see the evil we are capable of, it's like, well, that we are clearly not capable of solving this. In those moments, the church has a unique voice. Because that isn't, the secular culture has no story to offer. And that is not the case with us. We have a story to offer. As Christians, we have a totally different story to offer the hurting world around us. A message of living hope, an inheritance that awaits for us in heaven. In those moments where Western culture stands exposed, I think there is a unique opportunity when no one else knows what to say. There is a unique opportunity for us as Christians to share our story and to share of the hope that is in Jesus. To be given a voice when no one else knows what to say. A voice that says, God knows how you feel. He will journey with you in this furnace if you let him. That he will walk with you in your suffering. And that one day, he is preparing an inheritance for you in heaven if you'll accept it. One day, he will put all things right. Should we stand? I'd love to pray.